First Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. We'll read the even-numbered verses together, and I'll read the odd-numbered verses alone. First Timothy chapter 12, excuse me, not chapter 12, there is no chapter 12, First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, the Word of God says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till, <clears throat> till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. <clears throat> Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly unto them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the verses we've read. Thank you for the wonderful power in them. We pray that you give us insight into your word. Help us to know how to apply these thoughts, these ancient truths to our lives, so that we can be more like thee. And tonight, Lord, help us to, to really focus on not just doing the right thing, but becoming the right person so that we could be more like thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a thought that I talk to you folks and our entire church about occasionally, and that thought is this, being is more important than doing. I taught a whole message on that, or preached a whole message on that about two and a half years ago, but it's a thought that, that kind of is a, uh, it's a personal uh, truth that I try to live by. It is a ministry dictate that we run our ministry by. It's important to do the right things. I think you'd agree with that. Amen. But it's more important to be the right kind of person. If you do the right things, let me say it this way. It's possible to not be right on the inside, but to do the right thing occasionally. Amen. It's better to be right on the inside so you do the right thing on the outside consistently. And sometimes Christianity, especially most people's concept of modern Christianity, is very outward-based. Now, some liberal Christians would look at, at us or our church or me as a preacher and say, well, well you guys are are this or that because it's all about the outside. No, no, it's not all about the outside, although I think the outside's important. It's important what we do on the outside. It's important what I say, the words you hear come out of my mouth. It's important where my feet take me, what my hands do. It's important how I look. Those things are important. But more important than that is being right on the inside. And this is really the difference between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is being right on the outside. Holiness is being right on the inside. 
God is righteous, that means he does the right things, but he's holy, that means he's without sin on the inside. So you see, if you're without sin on the inside, then you'll do the right things on the outside. Uh, And this is a, a large concept that I just want to remind you of this evening for the purposes of our message here. Tonight, I want to give you eight steps to become the person who God made you to be. These are eight disciplines that will help you become the person God made you to be. Now, again, I think it's right to do right. It's good for you to be in church tonight. It's better for you to be the kind of person that goes to church. You see the difference? It's important to witness to people occasionally. It's better to be somebody that cares about the souls of men and doesn't want people to go to hell because then you'll witness consistently. It's good to read your Bible today. It's better to be the kind of person that wouldn't go a day without reading their Bible. It's it's what you do versus who you are. And I'll say this, you become who you are by doing the right things. So in this thought tonight, I believe that God, of course, has a plan for each one of us. In 1 Timothy chapter 12, God tells us what to do. Look at that verse again. Let no man despise thy youth. And the word let is don't allow. And what what God's saying here is don't act in such a way that gives people a reason to despise your youth. Alright, so let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And then he gives six areas where we should be examples. Now let me talk to all the young people in the room. If you, are, <clears throat> if you are a child, if you are a teenager, if you're watching online, or if you're anybody under 95 or so. The Bible says that you should strive to become the example of the believer. What does that mean? That we should want to live in such a way that other people could look at our lives and say, that's how a Christian's supposed to live. That's how a Christian's supposed to talk. That's how a Christian's supposed to dress. That's what a Christian's supposed to do. That's how a Christian's supposed to live. And notice here he's talking to the young people. Let me encourage you young people that are growing up in Christian homes or you have a parent in your life that's encouraging you to live like a Christian. You don't have a lot of the weight, you don't have a lot of the baggage that people had that get saved later in life. You don't know what it's like to be high on drugs, you don't know what it's like to be drunk, you don't know what it's like to have the weight of immorality upon you, you don't know what it's like uh, to to have filthiness and skeletons in the closet and all of that. And really, Christian young people should be the example of all believers because they haven't, they're not weighed down with the sins that God died to save us all from. Unfortunately and sadly, so many times Christian young people, they get to be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they run into the world as fast as they can. Why is that? It's because they weren't right on the inside. 
See, we point to the actions and say, well, that wasn't right. No, but they were wrong on the inside long before they ran into the world. And I'm encouraging the young people in our church, be right on the inside. And it's easier to do the right thing on the outside. If you're looking at Christianity as simply a list of do's and don'ts, then you've got the wrong idea. If you're looking at Christianity as, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, then, friend, you are already have one foot out the door. God's instruction is, Christian young person, you be the example. Show everybody what can be done with a life that's not marred by sin. I got saved when I was 16. I got right with God when I was 17. I took this verse as a personal challenge. My life was not right. My life was a mess. And I took these six areas and said, I'm going to clean up each of these areas so that I can try to be the example of a believer. I went from someone who, who had all kinds of problems in their life and getting in trouble at school and always in trouble at home and all these things to where God worked in my life to where I became a different person on the outside. But wait a minute, I became a different person on the inside. And you see the six areas here in word. Be the example of a believer in word, in how we talk. You know, my kids have never heard me cuss to God's glory. Now, they might tomorrow if they make me mad enough. No, that's not true. My wife's never heard me cuss. And I don't say that from a point of pride. I say that because I want to be the type of person that doesn't cuss. It's not just that I'm stopping the curse words here. I want to stop the curse words here. Does that make sense to you? My kids have never heard me tell a dirty joke. There's not a man in this church that's ever heard heard me tell a dirty joke. You know why? I don't tell dirty jokes. And they don't stop here, they stop here. That's the difference between doing and being. And God says, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, talk the way Christians should talk. I tell my kids, there are certain things we don't say, not necessarily because they're wrong, but because they're crude. Wouldn't be sinful to say it, it's just crude. Why would you choose the crude whenever you have the opportunity to be the example of the believer? In conversation, this is in your behavior. This is how you act, how you treat people. And being the example of the believer in your behavior. Number three, we see charity. This is love. This is how you love people. This is how you interact with people? Do you interact with people from a place of anger, from a place of pride, or from a place of love? By the way, it starts at home. Don't be nice to the cashier and be mean to your wife. Don't be nice to the person bagging your groceries and disrespect your husband at home. Don't be nice to the school teacher and disrespect your parents. It starts at home. And siblings hate it when I talk like this, but do you know that brothers and sisters, the way you treat each other is kind of your base of how you're going to treat people? 
Here's a good rule of thumb. You learn a lot about people by how they treat those serving them. How do you treat the waitress? How do you treat the person pumping your gas? How do you treat the person who, who uh, you go to a, a hotel and someone carries your bag? How do you treat the people that, that clean up after you? How do you treat the people? You'd be surprised and maybe you wouldn't by how often these people are demeaned and mistreated. No, no, that's not how Christians act. How you treat your brothers and sisters. You're setting a precedent. In spirit, verse number four speaks of your attitude. What's your attitude like? Are you negative? Are you a complainer? Are you a gossip? Are you just always the glass is half empty? Nothing's ever right. Everything's always a problem. Oh, the weather was nice today. Could have been warmer. You know, that macaroni salad was good. Too much onion. Well, this, this cookie is good. Ah, too much sugar. It's like, just be thankful that you have anything to put in your mouth. Yeah. Be thankful that, that God gave us a wonderful day. It doesn't have to be perfect. And some people, the, some people live, and we, we think about this continuum of, of pleasure, of happiness. Some people have decided that I'm only going to be happy if everything fits within this little window. You are guaranteeing yourself to be miserable. And what I encourage you to do is widen that window. You know what? I woke up today. That's a good day. Versus, we're out of bacon. I didn't get eggs this morning. Oh, they bought the wrong kind of bread. It's like, what? What? The The sun's too bright. The sun's too dark. It's raining. It's not raining enough. It's like, no, widen that and, and learn to be thankful for a lot of things and have the spirit of someone who is grateful. And that comes across in how you treat people. The next here we find purity, or excuse me, faith. What about faith? How does your faith work? People looks at you, can if people look at your life, can they tell you're a Christian? One Christian lawyer said many years ago, he said, if you were accused in court of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to find you guilty? And sometimes the answer is no. That word faith can also mean faithfulness. What about just showing up? Never underestimate people that just show up. I mean, just show up to church. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't feel good. I'm tired. Show up. I don't think I'm going to do a good job. Show up. I don't feel like show up. I don't feel like going to work. Then you won't have a job very long. I don't feel like working. You won't have a job very long. Christians should have the, the faith of not just personal faith, but also a life of faithfulness. What about purity? Striking, striving to keep yourselves pure. Dress appropriately. Listen, we're getting into the summer. Dress appropriately. God didn't give you a body to show it off to the world. He gave you a body to walk around in and for your spouse someday. Dress modestly. Dress appropriately. 
Don't wear stuff that's too tight, too sheer, see-through, too short, all this kind of mess. Dress like a Christian. You say, well, that's legalism. No, it's called dressing like a Christian. There used to be some shame. There used to be some shame if you could see somebody's backside. That was a shame. There used to be a shame if you could see somebody's chest. That used to be shameful. And now it's almost like a contest to see how much skin we can show, how tight can the clothes get, how much of the form can you show, all of that kind of stuff. No, be pure. Be pure. What are your eyes looking at? I'm worried about you parents. You've got you to be on top of this social media thing. There is not a social media platform out there that does not have at least soft porn on it. That's right. It's everywhere. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, all of it. Yep. Within a, a click, you can find nudity. You can find soft porn. It's all on there, and, and the average parent is absolutely oblivious as to what's on their kid's phone or what they're doing. And let me say to us men and women as well, you be careful. My wife can grab my phone anytime she wants. I don't have secret things. I don't have passwords that she can't get into. You need to have an open life. Don't have a secret life. If I ever go to reach for my kid's phone and they're like, oh, like, oh, I don't like that reaction. Better let me see that. And usually there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like, oh, you're going to touch my phone. It's like, you, you shouldn't feel that way about it. Amen. But sometimes you go to reach for something and somebody's like, oh, because there is stuff on it that shouldn't be there. Purity. The average songs today have so much uh, uh, eroticism and, and it's basically auditory porn some of these top 40 songs it's 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 disgusting and it's filthy and there is a part of you that loves it it's called your sin nature you better protect yourself friend the bible here is saying be thou the example of the believer look at these six areas in your life and say i'm gonna lock these six areas down by the grace of god i'm going to Work in, I'm going to pay attention to these six areas and try to make my life as much like Jesus as I can. You become the example of the believer. Now, verse 12 tells us what to do. Here's the rest of the message. Verses 13 through 16 help us become the type of person that consistently does what we find in verse 12. Being is more important than doing. And so I want to give you these eight disciplines. If you add these eight disciplines into your life, it'll help us become who God made us to be. And I can only give you a a short overview of each one, or we're going to be here all night I've got far too much information to give to you, but I just want to give you these thoughts, and I want you to to mark this in your Bible. I want you to meditate upon it this week. I want you to really do what you're supposed to do. That's where it starts. But then try to become the person you're supposed to be, and that's even better. All right, number one. Well, let's look at the verse here. Verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So the... 
The phrase there, give attendance to, as an important phrase, it means to pay attention to. It means to hold the mind upon this. Fix your attention on these things. Make sure that you're, you're doing these things and ultimately you'll become the person that you should become. And the first, I'll just give you these eight uh, areas and we'll go to the house. Number one is we say reading. Give attendance to reading. Give attendance to reading. Now this refers to the private reading and study of scriptures. There's two types of Bible reading in the Bible. There's public reading. Nehemiah chapter 8, we see that. And I think it's important to listen to the Bible, go to church and listen to the Bible. Listen to the Bible at home, in church, in school, if you go to a Christian school. Value the Bible. When the Bible's open, pay attention. It's not the time to go to the bathroom whenever the preacher starts preaching. It's not the time to go walk around the church and find out what everybody else is doing. It's not the time to hang out in the foyer or the fellowship hall or the the kitchen or the nursery or out in the parking lot. When the Bible's open, that's the time to lock in and pay attention to the Bible. Give attendance to reading. And then it talks about private reading. Paul told Timothy to spend time reading. Let me ask you a question. Are you a, do you read at all? A lot of people today say, well, I'm not a reader. Well, that's no excuse to neglect the Word of God. There are some things that are worth doing even if it's inconvenient in the moment. And so, read the Bible. Satan has succeeded in keeping many people from reading. But we need to read the Bible. I think you should also read other books. I think you should read books about ministry and read biographies of Christian people, read books about Christian science that that the average person doesn't hear about, read books about certain doctrines and things. We've got a a wonderful book corner uh, in the fellowship hall that that you, you could learn so much just by grabbing a book, read a couple pages a day, work up to reading a chapter a day, sit down and read the Bible for 15 minutes a day. You can read your Bible through in a year, reading four chapters, 15 minutes a day. You read your Bible through every year like clockwork for the rest of your life. That's a pretty good deal. Pick up some other books about different things. I rarely read a book from cover to cover I'm just too busy, but what I'll do is I'll read a lot of books at the same time, and I might pick up a book. I did this just the other day. I picked up a book on, on uh, some business stuff, just, just learning how to, to make some things work, and, and I looked at the table of contents, and I thought, what's on my heart today? What does God want me to read today? It happened to be the last chapter in the book. I skipped all the way to the end. You know, you can do that. And I read a chapter that was helpful. I'm like, wow, that was helpful. I've meditated on it the last couple days. If you, if you do that, you consume information on a daily basis from the Bible to positive other information. It will help you become the person you're supposed to be. All right, we see give attendance to reading. Number two, give attendance to exhortation. Exhortation speaks of encouragement and warnings. Look at, hold your place here and look at Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 is a, is a wonderful chapter. <clears throat> Everybody alive needs to learn how to take a rebuke. You can tell a lot about somebody by how they handle it whenever they're reproved, rebuked, or exhorted. 
If you can't take a rebuke from a boss, you're not going to have a very good job. If you can't take a rebuke from a parent, then you're not going to have a very good life. If you can't let people who care about you point out what is wrong in your life, then you're going to have a lot of problems. An exhortation is an encouragement, but it's also a a warning. Look at Proverbs chapter 9, and I love these these verses. Verse 7, he that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself what? Shame. Scorners don't want to be reproved. They don't want to be told what to do. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Says the scorner. The scorner is one who's so filled with pride, they think they know better than everybody else. Looks, goes on to say, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. The wicked man says, who does that guy think they are? My parents are so strict. My parents, this Peter, that teacher. Eh. It, it's always the other person's fault. It's never... I have a problem that I need to fix. The scorner and the wicked person always blames those who are trying to help them. Well, you don't want to be that kind of person. Look at verse 8. Reprove not a scorner lest he what? Hate thee. I mean, hate you. For what? For the terrible transgression of trying to tell them what's right and what's wrong, what's going to hurt them and what's going to help them. Rebuke a wise man and he will what? A wise man says, I've not thought of it like that before. I appreciate your input. Even if you think they're wrong, even if they might be wrong, you can respond to a well-meaning correction with, I've not thought of it like that. or I've never seen it that way. I'm going to think about that. Sometimes it needs to be, wow, that's true. I was wrong. I'm sorry. But you never want to respond to a, an appropriate rebuke, an appropriate reproof or, or exhortation with pride and arrogance. Look what it says in verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be what? Wiser. Yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Here's the real problem. If you never learn to take a rebuke, then you never learn. If no one can correct you, you'll spend your life making the same mistakes. And the way we become who we're supposed to be is we give attendance to reading. We make sure that we make reading God's Word and other appropriate books a part of our life. And then we learn how to take a rebuke and an exhortation. An exhortation might be, hey, you're better than that. You mean I'm better than that? You're better than that. You know, the world says today, the world tells kids, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just fine the way they are. And they know that that's not true. And oftentimes they hate things about themselves. It's like a, it's like a terrible condemnation. It doesn't help people to say, you're perfect the way you are. You never have to change. Because they're not happy the way they are. What helps people is to lift them up To say, let me teach you a better way. Let me show you your potential. Let me show you who you could become. I had a coach one time and he was on me and on me and on me. And I looked at him one day and I I didn't handle it right. And I I wasn't, I think I may have been just saved at the time was on the varsity basketball team. And I looked at him and said, why are you on me? You're not on him and you're not on him and you're not on him. And he got right in my face and he said, Chapman, the day I stop yelling at you is the day I've given up on you. 
And if I'm yelling at you, it's because I believe in you. You can do better. He said, now go run 20 laps for yelling at me. (laughs) And, And I did. And that was around the gym, up the stairs, across the bleachers, down the bleachers, around the gym. You know, if you do that 20 times, it's amazing how your, your desire to yell at your coach is considerably lessened. But if we're going to be who we're going to be, we've got to learn how to take an exhortation. We've got to learn how to take a rebuke. Don't, don't cast blame. Receive an appropriate correction. Number three, we see to doctrine, give attendance to doctrine. You've learned that doctrine is the backbone of our faith. Doctrine means teaching. Sound doctrine means healthy or uncorrupted teaching. So sound doctrines are the healthy, uncorrupted truths of God's Word. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's our theme for the year. But you've got to learn what you believe and why you believe it. Jesus is God. You would say, Amen. And I say, why do you believe that? You should have a verse. I believe I'm going to heaven. Wonderful. Give me a verse. I believe you should go to church. Wonderful. Give me a verse. We should try to have verses, Bible verses, that that are uh, explicit commands or that are principles for just about everything we do. Just about everything we do in church, we try to have a biblical command or principle or precept behind it. The way we live our lives. I tell my kids, you know, they're getting older now where they can understand But I've always told them, your mom and I set up a life based on God's word. Most of the things we do are not just arbitrary. They're because of something that God's word says. The things we do, the things we don't do, there's usually some biblical basis for it. And if it's not, it's because we we have built a life based on wisdom of others over the years. Don't just change that because you don't understand it. Find out why. Learn the doctrine. You know, there are some people that can sit in a Baptist church for 10 years and then go become a Catholic. It's like, how can you do that? Not because Catholic people are terrible, but the Catholic church is wrong. And if you know the Bible, how can you you learn the doctrine and then go sit in a church that teaches the opposite of the doctrine? How can you sit in a, in a good church that teaches you the Bible for five or ten years and then go sit in a Jehovah's Witness church or a Mormon tabernacle? It always blows my mind. And what happens is, invariably, they heard the things, they chose to believe it, but they didn't pay attention to the doctrine. Why we believe what we believe. So how do we become the right kind of person? We give attendance to reading. We give attendance to ex- ex- exhortation. We give attention to doctrine. Next, we give attention to ministry. 1 Timothy 4.14. I'll give these last ones to you quickly. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying hands on the hands of the presbytery. So here he's talking about basically the call to preach. This would be kind of like an ordination service. The call to preach was the, the acknowledgement that Timothy had a gift and that Timothy was called to ministry. And here, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying, Timothy, pay attention to the ministry that God's given you. He needed to stay busy preaching. He needed to stay busy serving. Let me just give each one of you an important exhortation, and that is life is getting busier and busier. You've got more things coming at you than you ever had before. 
Don't neglect the ministry God's given you. Find a ministry. Find out how God wants you to serve. Find out how God wants you to spread the gospel. Get involved in in, uh, church ministries, in outreach ministries. And then as busy as your life gets, protect those. Guard them. Because one of these days, it's not going to matter what your boss thought of you or what was in your 401k. It's going to matter what difference did you make for Christ on earth. And you need to become the kind of person that prioritizes God, family, ministry, all of these things. All right, next we see number five, the fifth element to install in your life to become the person God wants you to be. We see meditation. 1 Timothy 4.15, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly unto them that thy profiting may appear unto all. Meditation is the application of the mind to a specific thought, looking at it from all angles, seeking the fullness of understanding on a matter. I believe one of the the number one problems with modern technology is we let our devices do the thinking for us. It makes our minds lazy. They call... TV, it used to be, you used to get the TV guide to learn about the programming, what programs were scheduled. And the average person doesn't know what to think about until they pick up their phone and their phone tells them what to think about. They turn on the TV and the TV tells them what to think about. No, no. God wants you to decide what to think about. Philippians 4.8, think on these things and then meditate on the beautiful things in this life, and that helps you become the person that you're supposed to be. Amen? Amen. Number six, we see that we should give attendance to commitment. Commitment. The Bible says, give thyself wholly unto them. I don't know if I have personally lived in a day and age in America where people give up so easily. It's like quitting means nothing. You don't like school? I'll quit it. You don't like sports? I'll quit it. You don't like your job? Quit it. You don't like your your marriage partner? Quit it. Walk away. It's like everybody just quits on things. Quitting becomes a habit. Uh, My my in-laws did this and my parents did it. Uh, When my wife was young and, and with all their kids, if they started a ministry, their parents basically said, once you start this ministry, you're going to be in it until you go off to college and start another ministry. So make sure you choose wisely. If you start a job, you're probably going to do it until you go off to college, so choose wisely. My parents, when, when I started a sport, uh, it was like, you're not going to quit. Once you start it, you're not going to quit. When I was in sixth grade, I was, I was short and fat and chubby, and I thought, well, I'm going to run cross country. And uh, all you do is run across the country. <laughs> you know, you... Now, my goal was to get in shape for basketball. But I didn't realize that you just ran for miles. That's all you did. It's run for miles. I remember one time, and I did this all through high school, uh, the coach put us in the back of his truck, drove seven miles away from school, dropped us off on a gravel road and said, see you back at the school. We didn't even know where we were. What'd you do? We ran back to school. 
my parents said, and, and what, it's funny because one of the reasons why I joined is, is I probably would have quit, but as I was telling my parents, no, I really want to do this, and my, my sister, my older sister, she was five years older than me, she said, oh, he's going to quit. Well, I decided right then, they might put me in an ambulance and I might die on the way to the hospital, but I'm never going to quit and prove my sister right. And so there were times where I almost died on the side of a gravel road in Greene County, Indiana. But um, uh, we didn't quit. There's something to that. There's something. Listen, I went through some hard times in, in college. I had some difficult jobs. Marriage is not always easy. My wife's health has been difficult. We don't quit. Don't be a quitter. Find something worthwhile and commit yourself. People quitting on God, quitting on church, quitting on... I'm glad Jesus didn't quit on us. When He was on the cross, He could have called those legions of angels, but He didn't quit on us. Commit. Be someone who's committed to the right things. We finish up number seven. Give yourself to protection. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed is, is one Greek word that means beware or pay attention to. It means keep your eyes open and protect this thing. And so the Bible says, take heed unto yourself, protect yourself, protect your doctrine, continue in them. And of course we see the, the commitment there. Uh, but, but protect these things. And the idea here is that we instill wise habits into our lives that keep us safe. We build guardrails in our lives that protect us from sin. When my wife and I were dating, we didn't hold hands. We didn't smooch. Our first kiss was at the wedding altar. You say, oh, preacher, that's terrible. Well, I can give you 23 years of reasons why it's been pretty wonderful. And we've made up a lot of good time over the years. I've gotten a lot of smooches in over the 23 years. No, what happens is you're going to steal the blessings that should have come later. You're going to cheapen them and steal them now and lose out on both. There's no prize for losing your purity in the back seat of a car. There's no prize for getting yourself messed up online watching the wrong kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no crown right. for losing your family because you got off in a ditch somewhere that you didn't have to. That's right. And what God is saying is, is build guardrails in your life to protect you along the way. One of those things is I don't spend time with women alone who aren't my wife. Could I? I believe I could. But if I see you walking down the street in the pouring rain and I'm alone, I will honk and wave as I drive by. You say, preacher, that's excessive. It probably is, but I know far too many stories. I know far too many stories. You've got to build guardrails in your life. How are you going to make sure you're not watching the wrong, the wrong kind of things? How are you going to make sure you're not around the wrong kind of people? Protect yourself. 
And as you're becoming the person that you want to be, you have to protect yourself. Listen, there may be 999 days where it'll be okay, but it only takes one day. There might be 30 years where you'll be fine, but it only takes one day. And you need to set up guardrails in your life to protect you on your worst day. And then you'll be safe. Amen? Amen. And let me say lastly, this idea of persistence. It's one thing to not quit. It's another thing to be persistent while not quitting. They have this thing today called quiet quitting. Have you heard of that? It's people that don't actually quit their jobs. They just don't work hard while they're at work. <laughs> yeah, it's happened for many years. It's just now it's, it's more of a, an epidemic. Listen, I'm not going to quit my job. I'm just not going to work while I'm at work. Quiet quitting. Can I tell you that there's a lot of Christians who they, they haven't stopped going to church, but they've been doing some quiet quitting. They haven't given up on God, but they're not trying real hard either. They haven't turned their back on Christ and disowned the Bible, but they're not trying real hard. And the Bible says, continue in them. Be persistent. The word continue means to remain or to persevere. It means keep going. The Bible still says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. You will be weary. You will get tired. Discouragement will come. The winds of trials will blow and the waves of suffering will crash upon you. But continue. Be persistent. With God's help, you can not only survive, but you can thrive in the midst of all the problems. Here's the thought. Verse 12 tells us what to do, and I think that's a good list for all of us to focus on. I mean, write it down, look at every area of your life, and how can I become the example of the believer in these areas? And you're going to find out there's going to be some areas you struggle with more than others, and that's because we need to become the right kind of person. How do we do that? We give attendance to reading. We learn how to take a rebuke and exhortation. We give attendance to doctrine. We focus on ministry. We focus on meditation. We instill this commitment into our lives. It becomes who we are. We, we build protections in our lives in the form of biblical guardrails and, and protections. Not, not for our best day, for our worst day. And we decide that we're going to be persistent. We're going to persevere. We're not just going to be here. We're going to be persistently involved. I'm not just going to be in my marriage. I'm going to be the best husband I can be. I'm not just going to be a Christian. I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. You're not just going to be a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter. You're going to be the best you can be and you're going to keep doing that until someday you see him. And what happens is over time, all of these things accumulate and next thing you know, you are a different man. You're a different woman than you used to be. You're doing the right things, but now you're doing them out of the right being. And that's the real goal.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that we've learned tonight. I pray that you'd help us to learn this truth and to focus on this and, and choose some areas in our lives that we're going to start on tonight and tomorrow. Not only to do the right things, but to be the right kind of person by thy grace. And of course, when we get saved, we become a new creature and we have to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. We have to allow the new man within us come out as we put off the old man and put on the new man. You make us someone entirely different than who we used to be and thank God for that. But help us to do it intentionally, trusting thee to make us more like the master. Heads are bowed.